many times when uh, God is leading me to take a session, He would just tell straight away, He'll give you a verse and he'll, he'll, I have shared this before, He will say, preach on John 14 verse, you know, <laughs> and I would go to John 14 and he'll say, Lord, what, do, what did you preach on? And then the word would just come up, you know, so, uh, so this was one of those words, you know, I just want to know what to talk about, but God said, go to John chapter 14 verse 8 and preach about it, you know. And it's amazing that how all of this what we've been sharing really matches up with what we're going to, uh, God is going to show to us. The title of the message is the lure, of, the lure of the spectacular, or not by science alone. The lure of the spectacular, or not by science alone. <coughs> John chapter fourteen, verses one to eighteen. John chapter fourteen. Verses 1 to 18. And because we are running out of time, we'll quickly run through it. Because uh, it's an extensive truth, a truth that will bless all of us. Will bless all of us. Now this is Jesus. This is one of those. And if you have not read this, you need to read this passage. It's John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. Is one continuous Jesus talking how many of you have read that? As one, as, as together, one together, it's Jesus talking to the disciples in the, the single most longest monologue that I've ever seen in the Word of God. John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, and he's talking before he's about to leave earth. So all that he's saying is the most, the deepest truth, the most critical that he wants the disciples to know before he leaves. If somebody tells you that I'm going and I have to tell you something and I'm never going to meet you ever in this life, you better listen to what he's saying because he's not telling stuff that he needs is critical for you and I, correct? So he starts off by saying a beautiful thing. He starts off with this monologue. And uh, let me run through it quickly. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. So Thomas asked a very simple question. You know, I like the way the disciples ask questions. Not much theology, very simple. Thomas asked Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we even know the way? You know. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? You, he who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. But whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And he again goes on to say that. 
if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And he continues. And you're not going to the rest of the passages. But I want you to go back to verse 8. Here was Philip asking a very so-called innocent question. What is Philip's asking Jesus? He is saying a lot more than asking that question. Look at this question. Philip is saying, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. It's the lure of the spectacular. The lure of the spectacular can blind you to the eternal. The desire for the spectacular can blind you to the eternal. Philip is asking a very innocent question, so-called, right? A very innocent question. He's saying, Jesus, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus takes on. <laughs> it's amazing how Jesus takes on Philip. Because there is more to that question than what meets the eye. What was Philip asking Jesus? He's saying, I've seen your ministry. I've been with you. I've seen your miracles. I've seen everything. But I want to see the spectacular. Show me the Father God. And Jesus turns to Philip and says, How long? How, have, how long have I been with you? You have known me for so long. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And now you can, how can you see? Show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak I do not speak on my authority. The works that I do, I do not do in my authority. I do what the Father says. I speak what the Father speaks. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying to Philip, Philip, you missed it. I am Father God here on earth. Just because you didn't see a spectacular display of the power doesn't mean that I am not Father God. The Father God is in me and I am in him. You miss the eternal in your quest for the spectacular. So much time in our life, we are after the spectacular and we miss the ordinary promises and the power of God that is manifest in our lives. Amen? Amen? The desire for the spectacular always blinds us to the eternal. So what happens? Because that is the greatest deception that the enemy puts it in our lives as a believer. We want to see God then we will do things for God. We want to see the great things of God. Then we will believe Him so that we will do God. So what happens? All throughout your life, you are chasing the spectacular. And our life is done. And you are ready to go to God. And then you, and just like as many, for a brief second, what a powerful testimony. Saw the spectacular, right? And then you are like, wow, how much more I will now do for God? How much more great things I will want to do for God because I've seen the spectacular. What the spectacular, the desire for the spectacular can blind you to the eternal. Amen? I mean, I want you to go to uh, Benny Hinn, one of those, uh, I was listening to one of his workshop sessions and I'm going through that session of, on healings and miracles. Uh, and, he, and he makes a very powerful statement. He says, Jesus Christ it's God's will in action. I want you to go through it. Jesus Christ is God's will in action. 
what you see Jesus do or not, the way he acted, the way he spoke, was as if God would do when he is on earth. Let me make another statement. And we've talked about this session a long time before. The familiar Jesus is also the exalted Jesus. I want it to sink into your hearts really deep. The familiar Jesus is also an exalted Jesus. Just because you have known Jesus as a friend, just because you have known Jesus as a savior, just because you have known Jesus as one you call on him so easily, doesn't mean that he is not exalted and high and lifted up in heaven. The Philip had the same problem. He saw a familiar Jesus, but he didn't see an exalted Jesus. So he wanted to see an exalted God. He said, show the Father. And I'll be, that'll be sufficient for me. And Jesus says, I am the Father. The Father is in me. Can you imagine how, what a paradigm shift that can make in Philip's life? And he'll say, you mean, you mean you're God? You mean you are really that powerful? You didn't know that? And we walk through all of life with this word of God, not knowing that every word that is written is proceeds out from the mouth of God. Amen? Every word. So you don't need anything spectacular in your life for you to believe. But if you believe, what will happen? The spectacular will follow you. Amen? Amen? Revelation always precedes manifestation. You don't chase manifestation without revelation. I tell you, the enemy will fool you all your days of your life chasing after manifestation. But God says, get revelation. Your manifestation will follow. Amen? If you don't have a revelation of healing, healing will not follow. If you don't have a revelation of the power of God, power of God will not manifest. Because God, number one, is a gentleman. He will not force manifestation in your life. How much, how much, of, a, how much of a he needs you to get it. Think about it. That is why in Revelation he says, Behold, I stand outside of your door and knock. If any man wishes, let him open. Man, if, if God can knock, he can also break down. <laughs> he can. But he says, I knock because I want you to open. I want you to get revelation. And then you will walk me in. Amen? Amen? Amen. The lure of the spectacular can blind you to the eternal. And then Jesus starts on taking on something. How did he start this monologue with the disciples? What did he start? He said, let your heart not be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Why is he saying that? Because at that point of time in the believers in the Jewish life, they believed in Yahweh God really well. There was no denying. There was no unbelief in the Yahweh God. There was no denying of the power of Yahweh God. Because they, they knew how God was powerful. They knew God had delivered them from e Egypt. They had been brought together as a nation. They knew the power of God. But Jesus is saying, you believe in God, right? And the disciples said, yes, Lord, we believe in God. Believe in me. Today we have a different problem. <laughs> we believe in Jesus, but we don't believe in God. <laughs> because we are familiar with Jesus, but we don't we are familiar with God. Do you believe in Jesus, Anil? Amen? You believe in God because Jesus is God. Amen? This Jesus is God. Verse number one. Jesus pleads with the disciples to believe in him. He says, believe in God, believe in me. Verse 11. 
Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Else believe me for the sake of the world. He says, believe me. When I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Number two, believe the works that I do. Believe me. He goes on. Verse 12. And then he goes on to add a, uh, add a reward. He says, most assuredly I say to you, if you believe in me, the works that I do, you will do also. So he's saying this belief in me is not just for the sake of believing. This belief in me can help you to do greater works than even I have done. Don't believe in me just for the sake of believing. If you believe in me, you can do great works. You can do greater works than this. And then what on to say? And then he continues to say in verse 14, if you believe in me, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So he says, the reason... I don't know. I couldn't. I don't know how to paraphrase it, but this is one item. Jesus' plea to the disciples to believe is so intense that it seeks to penetrate, smash, and drill deep beneath the thick block of sense craving and science seeking and flesh desiring system of unbelief put in place by generations of man man conceived notions of who God is and who God should be. I couldn't put it in any other way. That's good. Jesus, Jesus need for you to believe. Let me repeat that for you to understand. Jesus need for the disciples to believe in him was so intense that it seeks to penetrate and smash and drill deep beneath the thick block of sense craving, sign seeking, flesh desiring system of unbelief put in place by generations of man conceived notions of who God is and who he should be. Jesus wants to go beyond that. He wants, because we, have, we are so professionally skilled at unbelief that it takes God, Jesus, the Son of God, all his, all his strength to plead with the disciples to say, believe in me, brothers. Believe in me, Philip. Believe in me. Just because you see me ordinary as a carpenter walking in flesh doesn't mean that I am not who I say I am. Believe in me. Believe in me. And all the disciples are like, ah, oh, you bet. We're going to believe in you. You're just an ordinary man. You're just an ordinary flesh and blood just like me. And Jesus said, no, believe in me. You know, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a fireman going into a house that he knows is is burning down and pleading to the mother, let go, let go. You have to leave the town. He said, no, my, my son is in the town. No, but the fire is too much. You have to believe that this fire, this house is going to burn down. But it's hard to believe when you're so locked in in your emotions to what, who God should be and what God can do, right? It's difficult for you and I to believe what God can do in our lives because we are so inundated by sense knowledge in this world. Amen? That is why one of the powerful statements that Jesus makes and God, God makes is, and we talked about a session about that long time back, and I want you to remember that. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out from the mouth of God. Why? Because in this flesh, sense and flesh and senses can only take you that far. And you will always be discouraged. You need to always listen to the word of God. Man cannot live. And it doesn't say may not live. Man shall not live. God has put it in our very DNA of our body to 
have to need to listen to the word of God to survive in this world and to live and to flourish. He has put it in our DNA and you, if, it, if it is in your DNA, you cannot but help be what it is. And the more you try to get away from it, the more you are going to perish. You cannot live by bread alone in this world. Bread means every need to feel, see, hear, taste. You have to live beyond that. With all that, you need to hear the word of God and believe the word of God. You hear that? The desire for the spectacular is always driven by the need to satisfy your flesh. But that can blind you to the eternal. Okay. And, uh, John chapter 14, let's go back to that. And, and Jesus says in verse 21, he who keeps my commandments and uh, who, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and makes a statement. And he says, and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. And you'll say, Anil, you just told me that don't seek after the spectacular. And here is Jesus saying that Jesus will manifest himself to you if you keep. So isn't that the spectacular? Good question. So is that the spectacular? And verse 22. Judas, quickly. Again, I like the way the disciples ask the questions. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? What does Jesus say? If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Home with him. The way Jesus will manifest to us is the way he is manifested to you and me. Not in spectacular power of display, of aura, of brilliant, luminous, of uh, thousand volt light. No. The way he manifests to you and I is the classic way that he's always manifested in faith. He says, I'm, I'm telling you now something very powerful. If you believe my word and you keep my commandments, we will come and dwell with you. So, so Judas can actually go on and say, so Jesus, am I hearing you right? Are you trying to say that the Father God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus the Son is going to come and live with me? And Jesus is saying, yes, that's the way I will manifest to you. So has Jesus manifested to you? Yes. Do you feel a full uh, realization of the power of the God dwelling in you? It's hard to believe, right? But Jesus says that's the only way I manifest. And the fact remains that whether you like it or not, the Godhead dwells in you physically. You see, it's hard for the flesh to believe that, correct? It's very hard for this flesh to believe that this frayed flesh of yours is a home to the Godhead, right? It's very hard for you to believe, right? But it is true. Because if it is hard for you to believe that the Godhead dwells physically in your body, it is, it is you, who are you to condemn Philip when he said, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. Amen? Because it's, he's, it's as hard for Philip to believe that the Almighty God and the powerful God, the, the God who parted the Red Sea and threw the stars into existence and what Robin said, whose stars, whose light takes millions of years just to reach us, if that great God lives in you 
It is a fact if God, Jesus told us, told it so. Just let the desire for the spectacular not blind you to the eternal truth that God says is in your in His word. It's truth. So how do we? How do we? How do? How does it? What are the benefit? How do we? How do? How does it manifest in our life? You start believing, get a revelation of it, and things will start following. Signs and wonders will follow your life. It will follow your life. Luke chapter 11, verse 39. Luke chapter 11, verse <coughs> While the crowds were quickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of John the prophet. Okay, I keep reading till verse 32. 32? Yeah. As Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Amen. Look at this. The crowd started gathering to Jesus, and Jesus started talking about the crowds in a very different way. He said, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the son of man will be to this generation. Jesus said, this generation seeks after the sign. And, and look at, he qualifies. He says, a generation that seeks after a sign is what? Evil. An evil. evil generation. Why? A generation that seeks after sign is an evil generation. Why? Because a sign-seeking generation seeks a sign because of lack of belief. Correct? An unbelieving heart seeks a sign. Correct? Uh, uh, that's why Jesus calls it an evil generation. A generation that seeks after a sign is an evil generation. And then he says, no sign shall be given. And he makes a statement. He says, no sign shall be given to generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he says, and what sign did prophet Jonah give? What's that? Jonah did not really give any sign. Jonah came preaching, correct? But Jesus says, Jonah was a sign to his generation. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus saying, just the fact that Jonah appeared on their shore was a sign of impending judgment. Do you, do you hear that? Just the fact that Jonah just landed on the shore of Nineveh was itself a sign that their destruction was near. And that itself is enough for God to demand that they repent or perish. How much more when God sent His only begotten Son to stand on the shores of Galilee and preach the full gospel. How much more are we, you and me, accountable? Amen? Just the fact that Jonah just appeared on the shores of Nineveh was enough for God to demand a recompense and, a, and judgment and repentance. And did Ninevites do it? Yes. Do it. You know, Jonah's message was so pathetic. I mean, talk about preaching abilities. 
All that Jonah did was say one sentence. What is that? 40 days. 40 days and you all will be doomed. Seriously. That was the only message. I mean, talk about a three-point sermon. There was only a one-point sermon. And it was a point of condemnation and destruction. There was no hope at all in that message. It was saying 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. There was no love. Man, the guy hated the Ninevites. Talk about a preacher who hates his audience. <laughs> there was no altar call. There was no, even though he wa God wanted them to repent, he didn't want them to repent. There was no need. He, he said, don't even bother repenting. Just die. <laughs> just pack your bags and just die. You know? And he was like, and did he, after he preached, he went back and sat outside the city because he knew that judgment was coming on the city, right? I mean, the guy is smart. <laughs> he sat outside the city waiting to see what will happen because he knew. And when God didn't bring judgment, he turned to God and said, I knew who you are. You are a loving and a kind God and a merciful God. I knew that if these guys repent, they will turn. And that is precisely the reason you didn't, I didn't want to come to preach. Because, because he had what is called a prophet's remorse. You know what's a prophet's remorse? You know, when people, especially if you're blessed with the gift of wisdom and your prophecy, you want every word to come to pass. <laughs> Even if it means that the guy is going to die. You know? Because at the, at the end of it, it's like, Lord, see, my words came to pass. You know? And God is saying, more than your credibility of your word, I'm more interested in his soul. <laughs> you know, the prophets remorse when destruction doesn't happen when you're preaching. Thank God for some prophets' words that don't come to pass. <laughs> Especially, I don't believe that a lot of prophetly words that have been spoken on America <laughs> will be destroyed long time and gone. Amen? God is, God is more merciful than you. <laughs> God is more merciful than the prophets that he sends. Amen? Now Jesus says, but that's Jonah was signed to his generation. The son of man will be assigned to this generation. Amen? Just the fact that Jesus appeared. But Jesus just didn't appear on this earth. He spoke in, in the deepest sense of love that no man has ever spoken. And he showed and proved. But yet he says, if you want a sign, I will give you none. Except the sign of the son of God. It is so funny that the people who ask a sign never seem to discern one when it lands on their shore. Amen? I want you to go to Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 to 14. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 to 4. Uh, I, I would read that. Uh, see. Let the, and then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and testing him, asked him that he would show them a sign from heaven. 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 And when did this happen? After the feeding. After, after the, the feeding. feeding. After the feeding of? 4,000. Do you see the irony in this? He's just finished feeding the 4,000. Right? With how many loaves? Seven. Seven loaves and a few little fish. He just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few fish. Okay? He's just finished. He's just finished. Let me repeat. He's just finished doing a miracle 
of seven loaves and few fish, and he multiplied it among how many people? Four thousand people. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees walk up to Jesus and says, "Show us a sign from heaven." So Jesus, thank God it's Jesus. <laughs> so Jesus, Jesus answered and said to them, "Hypocrites." <laughs> Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. I have just shown you a sign, and you ask me a sign. The one who asks for a sign is never going to be satisfied by a sign, however big it is. So stop chasing the spectacular in your life. Start living the eternal. Amen. Signs and wonders will follow. Don't believe God when He. Remember, beginning of this year, we took the session that came to us. I think God spoke very clearly was, do not miss the time of your visitation. And 2010 is, I strongly believe, is a time when God is, God is visiting His people, not the world, His people, and He's telling, I don't want my people to visit, miss my visitation, and He's visiting believers this year. Amen. But He's coming in an ordinary package. He comes in, in in daily encounters. And let me repeat before I forget this. Do not underestimate your daily encounters. The secret to your success, as somebody said, is found in your daily routine, correct? But let me tell you, the secret to incredible power is found in discovering your daily encounters. In what you meet, the people you meet, the way you talk, in your daily encounters, God is going to visit you. And even the Bible says, unknowingly many have entertained angels. Correct? Because God is not going to come. God, as the Bible says, we strike about it. God is a God who hides himself. He hides himself in plain sight so that he can seek him and be found. It's amazing. He hides himself in plain sight so that you can seek him and be found. It's weird. Because that's the only way that he can qualify a seeker from a skeptic. You got it? Because he has to be in the world for you to find him. At the same time, he doesn't want a skeptic to get him. Because then he is not going to be a God who going to be a God of integrity. So he will not give to a skeptic what he has to give to a believer. But yet he is hidden. But if you reach out, he is there. Amen? I want you to go to Luke chapter 11, verse 33. Luke chapter 11. Remember we said, and the crowds came, gathered together, and he began to say, this is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Right? Verse 33. Now he's going down and breaking down that thing, and he's trying to expound it. And he makes a statement. And remember that Jesus, during his time, he always expounded it in parables and hid it in parables. For those who wanted to know, they could read it. But for the others, they, it, would, it was not available. And, he break, and just after this, he says a parable. He says, no one, when he's hid a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in might see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light that is in you is not darkness. If your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body is full of light, as when a bright shining of a lamp which gives you light. Okay. 
Why this parable after just what he said that no sign will be given? What is he saying out here? He's saying the reason that you and I cannot see the revelation of God is not because it is not there. It's because your eye is dark. He says the way you see is let your eye be full of light and then your whole body is full of light. Your inner eye, your eye that sees, open that eyes and see and you will see light and revelation. You see that the picture? He says do not hide and hide your light and what's your light of your body? Eyes. eyes. Not your physical eyes but your spiritual eyes. Open your spiritual eyes. Open your spiritual eyes. See the revelation that is there in God's word. Let it become real to you. And then you can see. And your whole body will be full of light. If your, if your eyes of your revelation, your spirit is dead, it's closed. No matter, Jesus appears in 45 million watts of light and you will still say it's a demon. He did. People who saw the miracles, they said that he does the miracles by Beelzebub. People who saw Lazarus rise up, they tried to kill Lazarus, right? After he has risen up, you would not try to kill a guy who's just been raised up from dead, right? They tried to kill Lazarus after he was risen up. And they, and they told about Jesus after he had been raised up from the dead and the guards came and told the Jews, what did the Jews say? Tell that the disciples came and stole them. If your inner eye, your revelation eye, your spirit eye is closed, no amount of rev, no amount of uh, um, witness from the world can ever satisfy you. No amount of science can ever fulfill your desire. Let me give you four examples, just to bring the point in. I want you to look at Mark, <coughs> uh, Luke chapter nine. And Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 to 20. Luke chapter 9. Or let's go to Matthew chapter 16. I think that passage talks about it better. Luke, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Yes, okay. Remember, Jesus had finished feeding the 4,000. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came and said, we need a sign. And then, just quick, very soon after that. And Jesus came to the region of Caesar Philippi. Now he, this huge crowd is following Jesus. Because why, why are they following Jesus? Because there is a sign that has been done and they are impressed by Jesus. And Jesus asked, the disciples, and the, uh, the, the, the reason I took Luke chapter 9 verse 18 is because there it shows the relation of people following it. If you go back to Luke chapter 9 verse 18, let's go there. Luke chapter 9 verse 18. And so they, they all ate and were filled and 12 basket, baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and he asked them a question. Because he, there was this huge crowd that is following Jesus, right? So this is the biggest, one of the biggest manifestations in Jesus' ministry of a public miracle. And Jesus says, who do the crowd say that I am? 
Because there are crowds right now. Suddenly they are, they are popular in town. There's these huge crowds. And Jesus asked the disciples, who do, who do the crowds say that I am? And what are the answers that he, Jesus gets? John the Baptist, number one. Number two? Elijah, number three? One of the prophets who were risen. And if you go back to Matthew, it says Jeremiah. So John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. What's missing? Son of God, correct? Okay. So we know that, right? So, so what? So what, then Jesus asked Peter. So who do you say that I am? He doesn't ask Peter. He asks the disciples. So who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, "What? You are Christ." The son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Let me make this statement and I want you to get this. Great signs do not necessarily lead to great revelations. Great signs do not necessarily lead to great revelations. So what does? Great revelation leads to great. Agree. But what leads to great revelation? The word of God. Do you remember Jesus said? Flesh and blood. That means no amount of physical senses, nothing in this natural can reveal this fact to you that I am the son of God. Except what the Father has revealed to you. Correct? How is the Father revealing that to you and me? Through the Word. Through the Word. Correct? He says, no. He says, and Jesus is making a point. I Look at it. He's asking this question not anytime. He's asking the question when there was a great sign done. Correct? And he's proving it to the disciples that great revelation does not follow from great signs. Because Peter, you didn't get the revelation that I am the son of God because you saw the bread being multiplied. Because remember, in the previous passage, even after the bread was multiplied and they went in the boat and they forgot to bring the baskets, they were now worried. What are they going to eat? I mean, Jesus is like, hello, I just multiplied bread, right? At least for the sake of courtesy, believe, appear to believe in me. <laughs> great signs do not necessarily build great faith. No wonder. When God does great things in your life, we are so quick to forget. And then when the next struggle comes, we are still struggling with unbelief. <laughs> we are like, Lord, how can you forsake me? And Jesus is like, hello, can I now count the number of times? <laughs> Shall I start? You know? Why? Because this flesh cannot live by signs and the spectacular. And I've done that. I've seen it. We have seen incredible miracles in our life. But the times of unbelief are so many and so quick. Isn't it? Because the flesh is deceptive. You cannot depend on your past victories for continued uh, victory. Your past victories are no assurance of continued victory in your life. You need the word of God. Let not do not be deceived. And Jesus said, "Great signs," and said, "You Christ, this was not revealed except 
by my Father in heaven. What does? Flesh and blood has not revealed this, but my Father. Interesting. Interesting. And guess what happened? Six, eight days later, Matthew chapter, this, eight days later, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 17, verse 1, the same thing, right? Now, six days later, in one passage, in the other passage, it's eight days later. After what? Six days after what? Or eight days after what? After Peter saying that, you are the son of God, right? What happens? Peter, Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And what happened? He was transfigured. If I had written the Bible, <laughs> I would put the transfiguration first. And then Jesus would ask the question to Peter. So who do you think I am? And then Peter would say, you are the son of God, because I just saw you. <laughs> right? Thank God I didn't write that Bible. <laughs> Why? The upside down. Because the great manifestation occurred after great revelation. And why do we in our life constantly run the other way? Seeking great manifestation with our great revelation. Man, if things don't happen in your life, if healing doesn't happen in your life, when financial breakthrough doesn't happen in your life, when your ministry doesn't grow in your life, the problem is not with God loving you less to not show His glory. It has nothing to do with Him. It is because of the lack of revelation. Can you repeat? I know this is powerful, but I want you to get it. Great revelation always precedes great manifestation. Amen? So if you're not if you're struggling in one area of your life and you're not receiving the answer, do not blame God. Do not blame God. Blame your revelation. Revelation of who God is in that area of your life. Amen? Remember the fullness of the Godhead now dwells in you. So you are without excuse. Amen? That's one example, right? I'll give you four examples of revelation precedes great manifestation. It's just about Peter. Peter's revelation did not come from the miracles that he saw. He got the revelation from God. Interesting, if you go back to the passage, in the other passage, if you look at the tabernacle incident, and I need to say this because you, you might miss it, just after Jesus was transfigured and saw in all this glory and Moses was there and Elijah was there, they come down from the mountain. Immediately the disciples have a question. And the question was what? Who's greater? Was that? No, that was on the mountain. But after he came down, he, he asked, they asked a question. One of the questions was, he did ask that. That was at the point when the glory happened. He made, they had a theological question. They said that. They said that. Then why then should they say that Elijah must come first? You see that question? Have you thought about that question? Why then they say that Elijah might come first? What are they referring to? You know, because they were prophecy students just like you and I are. And they were always taught, and it is in the word of God, that before the Son of Man comes, Elijah will come. So why are they asking that question then? Because they have finally realized that God, Jesus, is the Messiah. So now they have their prophecy all messed up. They say that, so where is Elijah? Guess what? Jesus said, 
What happened to Elijah? What was that? So what happened to Elijah? Elijah did come. Did they miss that? Yes. They missed Elijah the same way they missed Jesus. Why? You remember, revelation comes not by physical seeing. It comes by your spirit. So if they had the spirit sense, they would have seen that John the Baptist was Elijah. And Jesus is the Messiah. Theology corrected. Theology accepted. But theology without revelation is useless. You know, there will be many of us, not, let's not confess many of us, there will be many, many believers who will miss the coming of Jesus because some prophetic event didn't happen or some temple was not built or some sacrifice was not done and you will miss the visitation of God. But if you walk in revelation, you will never visit, never miss. Because the only guarantee of escaping the things to come, Jesus said, was watch and pray. Not the study of intense prophecies. <laughs> watch and pray. Because by my spirit, and if you can be, you can watch a hundred prophecy programs, but there is no guarantee that you will miss the visitation of God in your life. And it is the same. It was same then for the disciples. It is the same now for you and I. You need to walk in the spirit. You need to live in the spirit. You need to depend on the spirit. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Open your eyes of your understanding. Let that revelation flow in your life. Your daily encounter with God, do not, do not underestimate it. They are more valuable than Bilorali. They are more valuable than Glenn Peck. They are more valuable than... Anybody has favorites? <laughs> Oprah Winfrey, if anybody... <laughs> they, are, they are more valuable. Let not your desire for the spectacular. All this that you see are spectacular. Let them not blind you to the eternal. Because the eternal appears to you in your life as ordinary encounters with the divine. Amen? Amen. Your ordinary encounters with divine are, is what you miss in your daily search and hunger for the spectacular. Amen? Amen. So the next big movie, the next big video game, the next big job, or the next big house, the next big car, the next big uh, job, is the desire for the spectacular, correct? And you're going to miss the son of, Na son, son of man, the carpenter of Nazareth, walk in your life and you listen every day. Amen? And we may not all be fortunate to see a glimpse of heaven before you actually get there. Amen? We may not be. But we are without excuse, correct? We are without excuse. Number two example. You're liking it? God is good, right? God is good. He's he, he good, and he, he he said your revelation shall proceed from opening your inner eyes by opening the Word of God. Philip, another excellent example. I mean, I was I was so blown away. I was I was telling you the other day when I was having a quiet time, and, and I saw this. I'm like, Lord, I mean, this is so incredible. This example of a person that we we have never even read about so much. I want you to go to John chapter one. Verses John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. The 
following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Hmm. Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Did you get that passage? Wow, this is so incredible. Look at, who are we talking about here? Nathaniel, right? The life of Nathaniel is incredible. Nathaniel! Nathaniel here. Nathaniel. Thank God for parents who named their children Nathaniel. And not a popular name. It was one of those best names that you can name. Amen? So here is Philip comes. Now this is the same Philip we just read about. Philip comes to Nathaniel and says, We have found the Messiah, correct? We have found who it's talked about in the scriptures. Come and see. And Nathaniel has a theology problem, correct? What is the theology problem? No good comes out of Nazareth. So his theology says no good comes out of Nazareth. But Philip says, I don't know about all that. Come and see. And so Philip, uh, Nathaniel runs to see Jesus. And Jesus says to Nathaniel, he says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Wow! Not sin. Not sin. He's not talking that he behold is an Israelite in whom there is no sin. He's saying behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Deceit is different from sin. That means there is no deception in this guy. There is no deceit in this guy. And Jesus said, and Nathaniel says to Jesus, and says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, before, you, before I met you right now, you were under a fig tree, and I saw you in my spirit. Nathaniel says, a statement. What does he say? You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Man, it took three years and 40 days for Peter to come to that revelation. And miracles and signs and raising of the dead and lepers being healed and you name what? Walking on the sea and walking in the water and it took that much for Peter to believe that and confess that Jesus you are the son of God. And Nathaniel said to Jesus you are the son of God and you are the king of Israel just because Jesus said I saw you under the fig tree. Is he being naive? Or is he being truthful? He's being truthful. Why? There is no deceit. So now you know why revelation is hindered in our lives? The measure of revelation, I want you to get this so clear, let it fill in your heart, spirit. The measure of revelation in your life is directly proportional to the level of deceit in your life. Inversely proportional. Let's put it. Inversely proportional. The more the deceit, the harder the level of revelation. Therefore, there are so many preachers who will spend their whole life believing that Jesus is the Son of God, but cannot believe that He can heal. 
because there is deceit there is hindrance and they, that revelation cannot reach them amen but Nathaniel didn't need anything for him it was easy you are the son of God man I can see it but Nathaniel what about your theology you just said that nothing good can come out of Nazareth I don't care about my theology but I know that he is the son of God you see your theology will align itself with revelation once you have revelation amen you will always then it and you know what Jesus was not from Nazareth where was he from he was from Bethlehem but all throughout his life there were so many theology, theologians Pharisees Sadducees who did not believe Jesus for the only one reason and what was the reason because he came from Nazareth as I said once you know one we were having said you know, the easy question was to ask Jesus, what he would ask, what he would ask Obama? <laughs> Show me a birth certificate. Right? I mean, all you have to do was ask Jesus his birth certificate. And Jesus would have said, Bethlehem. Problem solved? Go back to business. Go back to believing, right? Go back to believing, right? Prophecy fulfilled. Prophecy fulfilled. But Nathaniel didn't need a revelation. He knew Jesus was the Son of God, right? Man shall not live. By signs alone. Man shall not live by signs alone. Who says that? I think the word of God says that man shall not live by signs alone. Not directly, but pretty much. You cannot live by the spectacular in your life. You live by revelation. Amen? And bringing to the point, what is the point? Great revelation always precedes great manifestation. What did Jesus say to Nathaniel? What did Jesus say? Most assuredly I say to you, you shall see heaven open and you shall see the sun, angels of God ascending and descending upon the sons of man. So did he lose his manifestation? No. He says just because you believed me before the manifestation doesn't mean I'm going to rob you of that. No. You are going to see great manifestations. You are going to see the sun, the angels ascending and descending on the sons of God. And see, the same thing. But your revelation preceded that. Nathaniel didn't need angels of God ascending and descending for him to believe. Correct? But he did see angels of God ascending and descending upon Jesus. Amen? Amen? The same principle. The revelation will proceed the manifestation. It will. It will. It will. God is not saying that he will not manifest his glory in your life. But he says, don't chase after revela uh, manifestation first. You chase after revelation from the word of God. Your manifestations will flow. Man, I'm telling you, ministries will overflow. If, if only we have grow hold of this truth. Because once you know that the Godhead dwells in you and is capable of immense things, all that stops you is revelation. Correct, Anna? Amen. He knows it. All that stops us is revelation on what the Godhead can do in our, in our lives. Amen? Third example. The life of Moses. Where was Moses transformed in his life? Where was Moses transformed in his life? Yeah? At the burning bush. Correct? Where was Moses transformed in his life? At the burning bush. So did the spectacular transform him? No. Moses was not transformed at the burning bush. Moses was transformed in the palace. 
when he chose not to be called the son of the Pharaoh and walked out to his brother. And we never read about it. Joseph's life cha- Moses' life changed when he decided, woke up one day when he was grown up and said, I'm not going to call myself the son of the Pharaoh. I'm going to call myself a Jew. And he went out to his brethren. How do we know that? I want you to read Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. <coughs> Can somebody read that? And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating him. That's it. When he was grown up, he went out to his... It was not a passing wizard. It was not a wizard. The word, the word there is, he left and went out to be with his brethren. Here was a son of Pharaoh, correct? Technically, he was he had inheritance rights to the Pharaoh's kingdom and his throne. He chose to walk out with no assurance of glory and power and witness of nothing. He decided to just walk out and say, "I'm not going to call myself." The son of the Pharaoh. I'm going to walk out and say I'm a Jew. I'm going to go to the slaves. And the Jews then were slaves. Correct? And he walked out of the palace of the greatest kingdom on earth. In line to the throne. He walked out from there to go to be with his brother. I want you to read Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24. Hebrews author talks about it in absolute black and white terms. He says what? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure. There you go. When he came of age, refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses, why do you want to be refused to be called of the royal palace? I don't know. But I don't want to be called. I want to be with these people because I see their suffering. But what are they going to gain? It? They are not going to be redeemed. They are going to be slaves. I don't know. But I am going to go out to them. Moses was transformed in the palace. Moses was transformed before the revelation of the burning bush. You see? Revelation always precedes manifestation. We all think that Moses was transformed by the burning bush. It was 40 years later in the wilderness of Midian after he spent 40 years taking care of sheep that God appeared to him. But he never let go of his faith. And he believed. He never came back. He believed. Amen? Amen? And the Hebrews explains why he did that. Look at verse 26. Uh, verse... Uh, Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, he rather suffer with Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of God. For he endured as what? Why did he quit? Why did he leave? As seeing him who is invisible. We have always read that man shall not live by sight but by faith. Let me repeat and correct it. Man shall live by sight. Faith comes by sight. Why? Not by physical sight, but by your spiritual sight. The parable of Jesus, open your eyes. You have to see before you believe. 
but you have you should not need you do not you need you need you should not crave to see it in the natural but you have to see it in the spiritual you have to see it in the spiritual others you cannot see, have faith you have to see the invisible god in your spiritual realm and moses had faith he said i see that invisible god and i'm going to be identify myself with the brother amen you have to have faith you have to have sight you shall see but you shall see with your spiritual eyes have revelation revelation is see in your spiritual eyes have revelation and the manifestation happened fourth example and that's a final example adam and eve it's powerful the same principle revelation 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 hey, but the example of adam and eve is on the negative side the lure let me repeat the title the the lure of the spectacular can blind you to the eternal there were two trees in the garden of eden and i don't know whether how many of you know this there were two trees in the garden of eden there were many trees but there were two particular trees what was one tree the tree of life the other tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where was the tree of life in the middle how do we know that i want you to go to verses let's go to the verses let's go right let's be not clear i want you to go this is so beautiful when you read this it will blow your mind you know genesis chapter 2 verses 9 Genesis chapter 2 verses 9 Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil Amen And out of the ground the Lord made every tree grow and it was pleasant to the sight and good for food Food The tree of life was also Have you wondered why did the writer say also the tree of life was also in the in the in the midst so there's a specific now the author is writing after the events have already happened correct so he's not writing it after the event has already happened so he's writing the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden why also in the midst of the garden was that correct correct what was also in the midst of the garden along with the tree of life the tree of the knowledge of good and evil how do we know that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the midst it's written there but it's also written in chapter 3 verses 3 now The woman is saying to the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, 'You shall not eat it.'" So the author is saying, "The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was also in the midst, but what? But Adam and Eve did not eat of that tree. Why?" because for the desire of the spectacular why do you think they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil let's go through it no 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 
That is one of the reasons. That is one of the deception. But why did they actually eat? Verse 6. For the woman saw that the tree was good. Saw. It was pleasant to the eyes. A, a, a tree desirable to make one wise. So what are, what are you seeing here? The sense. It looks good. It feels good. I can. I think it is good. It has all the virtue. The fruit looks really good. The desire of the spectacular can blind you to the eternal. And where was the eternal? Just next to it. The eternal was just next to it. And why do you think they did not eat of the tree of life? Because it looked ordinary. And we talked about it. Why do you think the people in Nazareth did not believe Jesus? He because he looked ordinary. He was a walking, talking tree of life. But he looked ordinary. He was a walking, ordinary looking, walking, talking tree of life. But he looked ordinary. And Jesus, the Bible says, was amazed at their unbelief. Do not be fooled by the spectacular, but be led by the eternal. And the, the only reason, the way they could know that this was a tree of life was how? Because they needed God's word. You see? That is where they needed God. The tree of life was not told to them. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil was. But the tree of life was not told to them. Why? Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds out from the mouth of God. They needed to live by the spirit. They needed to live by the spirit. And they had to walk with God. To know, and as they walked with God and ate, they would eat of the tree of life without knowing it, and they would live, but they missed it for the spectacular. Amen. And just after they ate the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what happened? They wanted to eat of the tree of good and <laughs> they wanted to eat the tree of life, and God said, "Guard that tree, number one, guard that tree." You know, not because he was angry against them, he said because if they eat. That, they will never die and they will be evil forever. I have a bigger problem on my hands, right? Now I have a, 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 a couple that is going to walk around not only naked <laughs> but also scheming evil, you know? I don't want that. Amen? The lure of the spectacular blinds you to the eternal. It's, it's not signs that bring you revelation but what does? The, the word of God. Believe the word and the signs will follow. The last verse of Mark says, signs and wonders confirming the word. Signs and wonders confirming the word. And, and I'll close with a quick summary. What was Jesus' response to the spectacular? I, we heard about men's, men's response to the spectacular. Jesus' response to the spectacular. Jesus had to face the same desire and the lure toward the spectacular like you and I, correct? He did. Let me give you an example. Remember when the disciples came and told Jesus how great the temple is? When, the, when, he, when they showed him the magnificence of the temple, what did Jesus say to them? Matthew chapter 24 verses 1 and 2. Not one stone, Not one stone shall fall. Remain. He saw the magnificence and the glory of the temple, but in his spirit eyes he saw what? He saw destruction. He was not impressed. He was not moved. Number one, the magnificence of the temple did not move him. 
Number two, the praise of the people. When there was a huge miracle and people started falling in, John chapter 2 verses 24 and 25, what did he do? He said, he did not need the testimony of man because he knew what was in man. He was not impressed by the praise of men. The threat of rulers, Luke chapter 13 verse 31 and 32, when a group of Pharisees came and said, Herod wants to kill you, leave the town. What did Jesus say? Tell that fox, I'll be here today, tomorrow, and on the third day, I will be gone. Do what you want. He was not moved or impressed by the threat of rulers. He was not, he was not impressed by the fear of the sword. When, Peter, when one, of, one, of the, one of the disciples cut the ear of the servant when he was about to be captured in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Do you think I do not have power to call down 12 legions of angels to guard me? How many are 12 legions of angels? Huh? How much is it? How much is one legion? I have the exact number now, forgotten. It's 6,482 if I'm not, mis not mistaken. So 12 legions is, I have that number, 81,912 angels. Jesus said, do you think I do not I do not have the authority to call down 81,912 angels to guard me right now. Because he knew what his eyes, the eye they could not see. He knew the power that works on his behalf. Amen? He was not impressed by the security of the soul. He was not impressed by the power of the government. When Pilate told, don't you know that I have the authority to crucify you? Jesus said, in John chapter 19, verse 10 and 11, it, was, it, it would have been not so if it was not already given to you from above. He was not impressed by the power of government. He was not impressed by the glory of all the kingdoms in this world when Satan offered it to him easily. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, he said, Satan, it is written, man shall not worship anyone except God. Him alone he shall serve. He was not impressed by the exchange that was being given to him. Amen? Jesus was never moved by the spectacular. Let me repeat. Jesus was never moved by the spectacular. He was not moved by the magnificence of the temple. He was not moved by the praise of the people. He was not moved by the threat of rulers. He was not moved by the security of the sword. He was not moved by the power of the government. He was not moved by the glory of all the kingdoms that is visibly seen in this world. But he was moved by the voice of one crying out to him. He knew by revelation what to believe. And I want to close by one classic example. He finally stood before the high priest in Matthew chapter 26, verse 63 and 64. I want all of you all to read that. Matthew chapter 26, verses 63. Matthew chapter 26 verses 63 and I'll, I'll, I'll read that to you and this was Jesus at the high priest before he's crucified and the high priest rose and said to them do you answer nothing what does this man testify against you but Jesus kept silent and the high priest answered and said to him I put you under oath by the living God Tell us if you are the living 
if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, afterward, hereafter you will see the Son of God sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Why do you think he said that to the high priest? Why did he say that to the high priest? He's, no, he's, yeah, he's prophesying, but he's saying the truth. He's saying hereafter. He said, I am the Son of God. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, hereafter you shall see the Son of God sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of glory. Why is he saying that to the high priest? He's saying, because you, I say to you that I am the child, uh, I am the Son of God, and I know that you do not believe me. Because you see me broken and crushed. I'm powerless right now. But let me add you. The manifestation is coming. You do not have revelation right now. But that will not stop the manifestation. Interestingly. All of the world will have a revelation. Some quicker than others. Amen. All of the world will have revelation. Some quicker than others. I only pray. That we have it earlier than others. The high priest shall see it. Pilate shall see it. The soldiers shall see it. Every unbeliever shall see a manifestation of the glory of God. But you have the privilege to see it earlier. Amen? Amen. How do you see it? You see it by your strength. Amen? Amen? Do not be deceived by the look of this Nazarene. Do not be deceived by the familiar Jesus in your life. The familiar Jesus in your life is also an exalted Jesus. Amen? Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 to 19. I want you to write that and memorize it as long as you live. Paul says, if there is only one prayer that I have, is this prayer. The prayer that I have is that your eyes of your understanding shall be opened. That you will know the hope, the riches, the inheritance and power. I paraphrase it. I pray that your eyes of your understanding will be opened. That you will know the hope, the riches the inheritance and power. Repeat. Hope. hope. Riches. riches. Inheritance. inheritance. And power. power. In Christ Jesus that you have. Amen. Let not the lure of the spectacular blind you to the eternal. Let not your eyes be blinded. God is able to do incredibly great things. And just as we discussed, his plea towards to you is the same plea that he had towards the disciples. Believe me. You believe in God? Believe me. I can do great things. Nothing is impossible for you. I just feel an anointing right now. Just let's, let's just worship Him. Let's sing that song awesome in this place, mighty God. There have been so many times that we have walked past this Nazarene in your life. The familiar Jesus in your life. But let this Jesus become powerful in your eyes. Let him be incredible. Able to do exceedingly above more than you can ask, think or imagine. What things that you have sought for, they are penny and little. For if you had revelation, says the Lord, you would ask of greater things in your life. You would ask for people greater things. But because of your unbelief, you're restricted in your daily needs. I ask you that you shall walk beyond the realm of the spectacular and into the unseen where I live and I flourish and I belong. 
I want you to walk with me and rise up with me and eat with me and live with me and know that it is impossible for you to do those very same things that I did when I walked here on earth, says the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus.
Jesus, in the 